Pelvic Posse, and welcome to the Empower Your Pelvis podcast. It's Amanda Fisher. I've helped thousands of people with pelvic floor issues, and it's totally my jam. Here, you can listen to expert interviews encompassing all things related to pelvic health. That's pee, poop, sex, and everything in between. You have a pelvic floor. Yes, you. We all do. And it's time to start talking about these issues that arise, but more importantly, how to improve them. I am so glad you are here to join us. Now let's head into this week's episode of the Empower Your Pelvis podcast. Welcome back to another episode of the Empower Your Pelvis podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Amanda Fisher. And today I'm so excited to bring you Alexis Brooks with Alexis Brooks Nutrition. She's got some pretty phenomenal stuff that we're going to go over today. Number one being PCOS, which if you have been following me for a while, you know that I have this and have had my struggles with fertility in the past with having PCOS. Number two, she's going to be chatting about endometriosis, and it is Endometriosis Awareness Month, I believe. Number three, nutrition-wise, how to encompass all of those together, what she does, and her passion, and it's also nutrition month. Is that correct? Am I saying that right? That's great. National Nutrition Month. All right. Everybody, please welcome Alexis to the show. And sweetheart, we are excited to have you on. I actually just met her last week. And the minute she introduced herself and explained what she did, I was like, I have to have you on the podcast. So we are so excited to have you. Please introduce yourself to our followers and let us know who you are. Okay. Thank you for having me. I'm Alexis Brooks of Alexis Brooks Nutrition. So I am a women's health dietitian. I specialize in PCOS, endometriosis, and fibroids. And just a little bit of a background in terms of like how I got to this point of focusing and really specializing in these conditions is I personally have endometriosis and I was diagnosed. It's been two years. Almost, wow. Almost to the day now. It was March of 2021. But yeah, I was diagnosed and I had a suspicion that I had something going on for a really long time. But anytime I asked, like brought up concerns to a doctor, I was just told to take birth control or told to really do like Band-Aid fixes. So it took me a really long time to get this diagnosis. Nearly 20 years when I really look back to like as much as I know now, like, oh, actually that was a symptom, like gut issues. I didn't know that was related to endometriosis, for example. But So once I really started like diving deep and learning about endometriosis, I learned more about PCOS and fibroids and really seeing that the common theme is that women are not believed. They are not really cared for. And I find that in healthcare, we don't really get the dignity that we deserve. And a lot of times, like I mentioned, it's like a Band-Aid treatment. So I really wanted to focus on women to really give us the care that we deserve. I love that. And I hate that it took you so long to get your diagnosis, because that's how I kind of felt with PCOS too. Did you say 2020 or 2021? Diagnosed in 2021. Yeah. Okay. That was, a. I think I was October 2020 getting diagnosed with PCOS and not realizing the symptoms that I had been dealing with also had, I'm like, oh, and I think back to it, I was like 15 going through these things and I didn't get diagnosed until I was 23. It was ridiculous the amount of time and nobody took the time to even think like, oh, this might be something worth looking into. So tell me a little bit more what led you down that path. Who did you seek help from with helping get your diagnosis? 
Mm. Okay. So I feel like it was a long path. It was a combination of reaching out to several types of doctors, different types, like, like gynecologists. But then also I, I feel like what really took me over the top of being able to, to get my diagnosis was short of telling the doctor I have this <laughs> being like, I have all these symptoms. I have X, Y, and Z and I've done my research. Like I have this, can we see what's going on with me? Yeah. I just, one of the, the groups I joined, maybe you've heard of it before, or maybe your listeners have Nancy's Nook. This is, no, it, it's more specific to endometriosis, but it's a really good resource for just like, I think anyone who suspects they have it or they do have it, but they're really trying to navigate. Maybe they need help with advocating for themselves or they want to learn about like surgeons or nutrition or like all sorts of things. So I first went there and I was like going through, like they have like different, I guess like guides and handouts too. So going through there, reading people's comments, reading books. And um, as I like was, I guess I would look at it as kind of like building up my case. (laughs) I would like write down this one day, I just wrote down all my symptoms and I started getting really detailed about it. So I would write down like, if it was a cyclical symptom, if it was a constant symptom, really recognizing my triggers. And I set an appointment with a doctor and I literally brought my list because <laughs> they're like, you know, we have a really short period of time with our doctors. So I wanted to really maximize the time. And and it was also during the pandemic. So hard to get appointments, all that stuff. So yeah. when they asked me what the symptoms were, I was like, actually, I have a list. <laughs> and they they like went through and she was like, yeah, I'm pretty sure you have this. And she asked me, have you ever had an ultrasound before? And out of all of the years that I had spoken to a gynecologist, they never thought to like do an ultrasound. So when she did it, she did a transvaginal ultrasound like right there in the office. And she was like, oh, did you know you have a cyst? And I was like, no, I didn't know. And she's like, wow, it's actually pretty big. So it was seven centimeters. And to give a little bit of perspective, our ovaries are about the size of an almond. Seven centimeters was like almost a grapefruit. So imagine a grapefruit hanging on, oh <laughs> hanging on going on with me. So uncomfortable. Yeah, and so like, oh my gosh, yeah, I could barely walk by that point. Like I was mobile, but it was really painful to walk, and I would feel the almost like the stretching of like my ovary and like my pelvic region, which I later found out I had adhesions which is basically endometrial tissue can be, or endometriosis tissue can be really sticky. So it begins to stick your organs together. So I was literally like stuck. And every time I would walk, I could feel the pulling of it. So that was like, after I had that conversation, that's what really got me into it. And just like, okay, well, we need, you need to see this doctor and that doctor. And it kind of like, after that appointment, it, it took me on from there. Do you mind sharing some of your triggers or symptoms that you were having in case any of our listeners are just kind of like maybe guessing or wondering, number one, what endometriosis is or could look like for some people? And then wondering, you know, if if they're sitting here listening and can relate to any of the symptoms that you have or have had. Mm-hmm. Okay. So, yeah. So I had heavy bleeding um, at one point when I was at the heaviest of bleeding, I would be able to fill a menstrual cup every hour. So wow. usually, <laughs> you shouldn't really feel like at the mo- ideally, I mean, a lot of women who have healthy cycles, they might fill a cup within their entire cycle, but I was filling multiple cups within a day and it would keep going on for several days. Um, so one is heavy bleeding. Let's see. Another big one was migraines. So I would get 
menstrual migraines, but even aside from like being on my period, I'd, I'd get migraines. Oh, gut issues. Those are the worst for me. So I'd be super, super bloated, maybe per the term endobelly, but basically like if you have endometriosis, a lot of times our guts are impacted. So getting that really bad bloating to where it's not just like, oh, like I'm a little bit bloated. It's like, it's severe and it's very uncomfortable and you probably look like you're pregnant. So when I had that, I would even like start to adjust how I wore my clothes because I didn't want to be asked if I was pregnant. In the morning, it would, I would be just like at my baseline, but as the day would go on, it would get bigger and bigger and bigger to where I was like, oh my God, this is the worst. So definitely gut issues. Food sensitivities are very common and everyone has different food sensitivities or can. For me, unfortunately, it's been wheat products and I didn't want to let that go. So actually, I haven't let go of it 100%. (laughs) But majority of the time, I do avoid wheat products because that's a huge, huge trigger for me. Let's see. Oh, I I guess I said pain. So aside from like pain in terms of migraines, it could be painful sex. It could be pelvic pain. That was a huge one with me too, pelvic pain, because I had a a, a cyst on my ovary. So that was always, it was a pain that never went away. It wasn't just like during my period. And that was a really a big red flag because it would be like over time, I noticed it was more and more. So in the beginning, it was like, okay, I have some cramping during my period. Just one week out the month, I can deal with it. It was my mindset. And then it started being like two weeks out the month, three weeks out the month, four weeks. And then just like every day, insomnia, anxiety, It's a lot of mental health issues too when it comes to endometriosis. Yeah. It's so crazy because there is seems to be a lot of overlap with the PCOS because a lot of things you're mentioning, I'm like, oh yeah, I have that, I have that, I have that, or have dealt with something similar. A lot of crossover between the two. And that's what we have noticed in the clinic too. We were seeing a lot of endo patients for the pelvic pain for us treating pain with intercourse or pain with inserting a tampon or having issues with not wanting to get up and move when they're on their cycle because of the heavy bleeding and us helping those patients. Then we started seeing more and more patients coming in with PCOS as as a diagnosis with their pelvic pain. But it's like our doctors here in Kansas City hadn't really put two and two together. And so we started noticing, we started asking the questions and realizing like, wow, okay, endo patients and PCOS patients and pelvic pains, just they all seem to be under the same similar umbrella, same umbrella in pelvic pain, but similar crossover in some of the symptoms that they were having. When you were going through your own diagnosis and your own journey, at what point did you start to go and laser focus your profession within nutrition? Mm. I would say it was after my diagnosis, but I would probably within the same year, like later that year. So I was diagnosed March of 2021 And it was later that year where I was like, actually, no, I should really focus on this professionally because it was something that I was really passionate about. Like it was something that I really loved to learn about. And it's something that I would do readings and all that stuff on the weekends or the evenings. And I'm like, actually, this is a huge passion for me. I should. And I, it's not just for me anymore. I see that many women have this issue and I decided that it's something that I really want to help other people to get through. And I feel like the information it's hard for us to find it, right? When we're looking for it, it's not like there's a, a great website to go to, or there's just all these people out there talking about these diagnoses or how to get help, especially in the gut and food realm. 
I feel like that's lacking. We're starting to hear about it a little bit more, but even we went and shouted a couple of providers a year or two ago, and it was still everybody getting put on metformin or drugs to mask the symptoms versus looking at the big picture of, well, what are we putting in our bodies that maybe is causing more inflammatory responses that then create more of that belly discomfort, pelvic pain discomfort? Like, how can we help improve that? So I just, I find it so fascinating that you dove straight into that as a profession and all because it's something that you've gone through as well. And that is kind of what led me in public health because I was dealing with pelvic pain, not knowing it was PCOS, but dealing with my own pelvic pain symptoms that led me into, into this world too. So tell me, I guess, tell us our viewers a little bit more about where you are as a profession, what you focus on, who you work with, and how you kind of look at the realm of nutrition with these diagnoses. That's a loaded question. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to try to tackle it. <laughs> Maybe so. I would say in terms of my approach is it's integrative and functional. So a lot of times we're thinking about those band-aid of, of fixes like the medication or maybe the surgery or something else. Those are a lot of times in conventional medicine, they're looking at the symptoms. So for example, with the pelvic pain or like having your irregular period or a heavy period, it's really likely that your doctor, conventional doctor, would say, oh, we'll just take birth control. We'll get that regulated. You won't have to worry about anything. You may not even have a period. You won't even worry about it at all. <laughs> <laughs> Where my approach more into like integrative and functional is looking at the symptom as like an alarm or an alert to let us know, oh, there's something actually happening. Like the symptom is just a man manifestation or a presentation of the actual problem. So what we really want to do is go backwards and see, well, where, why is that problem happening to begin with? So that's really my approach, whether, and I use labs to, to really give me a good idea. And also from physical characteristics or people's medical history, I can kind of go backwards and see like, oh, I see where the origin could be. And we just get more and more specific. So I actually, this is also part of endometriosis. So before I was officially diagnosed, I had a high suspicion I ended up taking a credential program for integrative and functional nutrition. So I was like, I hope this program can like help me piece these things together for myself. Yeah. Uh, help you lay out your own puzzle pieces. Yeah. So I was highly motivated to really complete that program and to get those answers. So I think you asked me a couple other questions, <laughs> but that's like the main approach I like to take. No, I love that. So with your, let's think like, endometriosis patients, what is a common theme that you see maybe nutrition-wise, food-wise, sleep-wise, where these patients could get help to improve their symptoms? Mm, yeah. So endometriosis, it tends to be what I see is that people are usually nutrient deficient and it may not be obvious to them, but a lot of times they're, they're um, deficient in iron in zinc, it could be B vitamins. And a lot of those things that they're deficient in are causing more and more inflammation in their bodies. And endometriosis thrives off of inflammation because it's also, it's not yet considered an autoimmune disease, but there's a lot of pieces that make it very autoimmune-like. Hmm. So we have to really focus on bringing down the inflammation because the more there's inflammation, the more that's the immune system really being very active. So that really drives the endometriosis growth. So I would recommend nutrition-wise is that a person does not cut out any food group, which I see really common actually for PCOS and endometriosis. Yeah, where people hear it all like, the time. 
right? Like no yeah. carbs. Or, that's like the biggest one I feel like for PCOS is like no carb diet or like super, super low carb. But when we do that, we're not only losing that that macronutrient, so like the carb, the fat, the protein, but we're also losing the minerals and the vitamins that are trapped within those foods. So I think that's one reason why they, they become so nutrient deficient. And then the second reason is that when you're in a constant state of inflammation, your body is drinking up those vitamins and minerals so fast that you actually, you need so much more nutrients than the average person who's not in a constant inflammatory state. So that's true for PCOS. And it's like your flame is constantly burning. Like you're just Mm -hmm. burning the fuel so much more than like a low flamed fire, I guess. Okay. Yep, exactly. So like it's burning, it's like, yeah, like burning up all those, those nutrients that we're even able to take in. And if you have a gut issue <laughs> that is maximized, because if we have a gut issue, we can't even absorb these nutrients. Uh, so it's like, that's another reason why we could be deficient. And then it also can create more inflammation too. So everything is very cyclical and really interconnected. So what I'd recommend is someone to make sure that they're they're eating all their food groups, fat, protein, carbs, And it might look different depending on the person, like their tolerances and all that stuff. But for sure, we need those building blocks. Like those have to exist. They need enough protein. So they need to have about 20 to 30 grams of protein with every single meal. To give a perspective of that, like say, say you eat chicken. About the size of your palm will be 21 grams of protein. So that's equivalent. If you are plant-based, that's about a cup and a half of beans or lentils would give you about that much protein. We could do fish, shrimp. There's just, there's a variety of proteins. We're making sure that that's there. Lots of plants. That's one of my biggest recommendations. So plants are considered fruits, vegetables, nuts, seeds, avocado, olives, and even spices. Spices or teas, those are all like in the umbrella category of plants because they're anti-inflammatory. That's one. Then the other part, they also help us to give a lot of diversity to the gut. So the more diversity, the better. And if we have a really diverse microbiome and bacteria within the gut, we are also able to balance off our hormones. We're able to have less inflammation and we're able to support the immune system. Very cool. <laughs> what if, so bad, it's it, go along with the inflammation piece. Like society, at least here in the Midwest, like we're coming up on summertime. Summertime means... Friday night baseball, like beer after baseball games or neighborhood cookouts, alcohol is where I'm getting at and sugary Mm -hmm. foods. So those are inflammatory, but would you recommend somebody giving them up, like cutting them out completely or moderation? How does that work with those type of diagnoses? Yeah. So I think I really like to be really practical with my recommendations too. And I don't think it's practical for anyone to give up anything that they really care about forever. So that's not necessarily my approach, but you're right. They are pro-inflammatory. So when it comes to alcohol, for example, it's still okay to have alcohol, but you have to be really moderate about how often you have it and how much you have. I think a lot of people don't know what a serving of alcohol is. Oh, I'm sure they don't. Alcohol is not how much we pour, right? It's actually, there's there's actual standard. standard There are serving sizes? (laughs) No way. (laughs) No. Yeah. So like wine is five ounces. Um, like a shot would be one and a half ounces, beer, well, 12 ounces. So those are the standard serving sizes of alcohol. I would say no more than one drink. So you're still able to indulge, you can enjoy, but 
not going overboard and not doing it every day, you will still be okay with that. For someone who's open to this, this could be helpful too. So there's a lot of mocktails now. There's a lot of non-alcoholic beers and all sorts of things. That's true. So that could be something too, if you want to be social and you still want the flavor, but you don't want to impact your hormones. I actually had a, a non-alcoholic sangria the other day and it was really crazy because it still smelled like alcohol. It was like, it smelled like wine and it tasted like it too, but it wasn't. That's what they said. Good to know. I do love that there's so many more options nowadays and it's not really frowned upon when you say like, oh no, thanks. I'm not drinking or I've got my own. Like it's looked at completely different. I feel like a decade now living now compared to like 2013 where Mm -hmm. people would question you like, oh, why are you doing that? And now because of hormones, like you could say that and people like, okay, cool. Totally fine. Yeah. It's more accustomed. More accepted. Yes. Accepted. Thank you. But the sugar too is another thing. Uh, (laughs) so same idea. I would say sugar could be a little bit more often than alcohol because they have like different properties, but the golden rule with sugar is that you have to balance it. So you can have like a sweet thing, whether it be like a cookie or maybe it's, I don't know, a piece of cake or whatever the thing is, but make sure that you have it after a balanced meal. That's one of the most important things. So balanced meal would have that protein. So we're getting 20, 30 grams of protein. It's going to slow down the spike of your blood sugars. And blood sugars are really important for your your overall hormones too. So if you do it close to like right after a meal, you'll be better, better off. And then if you can do a little bit of activity and it could be short activity. It could even be like five to 10 minutes walk, or maybe you're just like up on your feet. You're still like, maybe you're dancing. Maybe it's a party and you're just dancing. <laughs> like these are good things that, that will still allow you to eat those foods and balance things off. Do you mind tapping into a little bit of the blood glucose? We did not talk about this earlier, but this that was probably the biggest mind-blowing thing to me. A year and a half ago, I worked with a functional med doctor and I would wake up in the mornings, have two cups of coffee, go for my walk. I didn't eat breakfast till probably four hours after waking up four and a half hours, just because I was living my best busy life being Mm -hmm. a mom and a business owner. I just did not make time for that. And I had no idea I was spiking my blood glucose. So do you mind tapping into that? Explain that to our listeners, because I know if I didn't know it, there's probably plenty of people out there that didn't know it either. Mm -hmm. You're right. So this is actually when I start with with, um, whoever I'm working with, any clients, we start here. We start with blood sugar management. And the reason why is that it's it's really the foundation. So to give you an example, like what what you were doing, (laughs) was terrible. Right. Having the coffee on an empty stomach. What ends up happening is that our blood in the beginning, we're skipping meals, our blood sugars will drop. But our body does not like to see our blood sugars low. So what it does, it either releases the sugar that's stored within our our bodies, like our muscles and our liver. It'll either throw that into your bloodstream to help bring things up. Also, cortisol is another hormone that ends up being activated. And when cortisol goes up, one thing that I think a lot of people think of it is as like the stress hormone and it's known, known for having belly fat. So cortisol is going up to help us bring up our blood sugars. So now we have high blood sugars, <laughs> high cortisol. And so insulin's like, oh, wait a minute, let me bring the sugars down. So now we're pumping up more insulin and in order to bring the sugar into the cell, when this happens repeatedly, it creates insulin resistance where after a while, the insulin is is present, but the body's not even paying attention to the insulin. Mm -hmm. So we keep trying to pump more and more and more insulin. 
So one thing that that this relates to specific to PCOS is that when our insulin levels go up, when our cortisol levels go up, it actually causes our bodies to release testosterone from the ovaries. So that means that that's more of the the testosterone, um, the symptoms that testosterone is responsible for. So like be the acne or the hair on the the chin or on the lip or having um, maybe losing hair or I have all of these things. Yeah, all of the things. So that's like blood sugars directly related to all those symptoms. So until we manage those blood sugars, we can't even control our hormones really. So how, what are your suggestions for clients that are having those symptoms or have like the acne, the facial hair, blood sugar? Mm-hmm. Spice? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So for the, the blood sugar one is we do want to make sure that we're eating something in the morning. I say like an hour within waking and some people, they, they may not necessarily have an appetite in the morning. So it doesn't have to be like a full on meal. I think for a lot of people who um, don't have a big appetite in the morning, something like a smoothie could be really helpful. Something just drink on the go has to have all the groups though still. So we have to have like protein. You can add a protein powder in there. You can use nut butter. You can throw in some spinach or some kale. You won't even taste it. We can add berries in there or whatever kind of fruit that you like. And that is still considered a balanced meal. So you have all those different parts, the fat, the protein, the carb, and the fiber. So yeah, we have to make sure we have that. And eating every, I'd say roughly four to five hours. So we don't want to wait too long between meals because the same thing's going to happen where we get that dip and then our body is trying to compensate. So we're going to get a spike. So trying to eat pretty consistently throughout the day. If you find that you're getting hungry like every hour or two, that is a sign that you're not eating properly. That's a sign that you're probably not giving your body enough nourishment and your meals are probably not balanced. So maybe you're not getting enough protein. Maybe you're not getting enough fat. I think a lot of women are afraid of fat, afraid to eat fat. And fat is fat is amazing, first of all. It allows us to have the flavor within our foods. But it also helps us to absorb our nutrients, our fat-soluble nutrients, so like vitamin A, D, and K, E, and K. And it helps. It's really important for blood sugar balance. So have the fat. <laughs> Olive oil, yeah. avocado oil, like avocado, oh, yes. go off, that kind of stuff. Okay. Exactly. Yeah, the avocado oil, avocado, um, even olives, olive oil. I like I'm missing. Oh, nut butters too would count. Like So like peanut yep. butter, almond butter. Those are also nuts and seeds, pumpkin yep. seeds, chia seeds, flax seeds, all those. All the good stuff. Yeah. Is, so within that blood glucose, maybe not besides that part, but what is something that you feel like with the endometriosis clientele, like one big takeaway that you can give them that a majority of them probably don't know? Mm, big takeaway. Aside from the blood sugars. Is it more gut related too? Maybe that they just don't think about with their gut health. Yeah, I I feel like the thing that comes to mind that I I find myself telling people and they're like, oh, I didn't even think about that would be like the like not cutting out these foods really with endometriosis. If you Google like endometriosis diet, for one, you'll get a bunch of random things, (laughs) but you'll see some common themes. They seem like very, very restrictive where it's like, no dairy, no gluten, no no red meat, no oils, no fat, no oh my goodness, uh, no fruit. Like it can be like super super restrictive, and I think that a lot of people feel that they have to eat like five different foods 
But um, I think, and too, when, when people have a, a food intolerance or a food sensitivity, it could feel that way too. It can like genuinely feel like I shouldn't eat any more than these like select foods because oh. I'm going to get the endo belly. I'm going to be super bloated and like have constipation or diarrhea or any of those symptoms that go along with it. But I think what they don't understand or don't know is that when we do that, it also makes the problem worse because it gives us um, a really limited microbiome diversity. So the less types of foods that we eat, the less diversity that we have because food directly translates to our gut. Um, So I actually recommend people to eat 30 different types of plants per week. (laughs) I'm going to have to write this down. Like, I'm not sure... You I'm might. Not, be. I hope I am. So I it sounds this. like you should. Yeah. So like, do it like a little audit on yourself for the week. Just kind of like maybe writing it down or putting in the note section on your phone, just yeah. to kind of see like a quick soft audit on yourself. But a lot of people have the same <laughs> impression. Like, oh my god, like I'm pretty sure I don't do it. And you may not, but you may not be as far off as you think you are. Because remember, even like spices count. So if you're mm-hmm. making a soup and you're adding like three, four different spices, that's already three, four different plants. There's a, there's a, I think it was a TikTok I did or Instagram where I show people how you can get nine plants in just one meal. And um, so I made an avocado toast. And so, so, so the avocado was one tomato. I added tomato to there. I think I added like a, a seasoning blend and a few different other spices on there. There was, um, I think, but also I added to it. I think I maybe added cucumber. I added like a, a variety of... Sounds um, very good. Yeah, it was, it was delicious. <laughs> <laughs> it's like a way for us to to like really have that um, diversity without necessarily thinking about it as much. A few quick tips for that can be doing mixed versions of items versus just the items. So like if you're used to having blueberries, maybe you do mixed berries because now you're having maybe three versus one. Yeah. Or if you're doing like spinach normally, maybe you do like a spring mix where it's like three, four different types of greens. Maybe you do mixed nuts versus one type of nut. So those are ways to really give us more recommendations just like one. But the more you have like different ones, the more your gut's going to appreciate it. And you can even, I don't know, maybe like every week, maybe you try something different. Maybe you like swap something out if you want to try a different type of vegetable, a different type of fruit, different seasoning. Tea is also a plant too. Maybe you want to add that in there. That so was maybe- my biggest surprise when you said that. I was yeah. like, oh, well, check that one off my list because I drink tea. That is my tip. That's my caffeine now because I do have a sensitivity to coffee and espresso, which I love to pieces. But tea is my way of getting my little caffeine fix for the day. But then like spearmint tea, I also do and dandelion root tea. So I feel like I could, can you count yeah. that tea though? Can I count English breakfast tea yeah. and plant? Okay, cool. Yeah. Uh-huh. Well, there's like three. <laughs> All right. You're already good on those. Oh, ashwagandha. That's my other one. So four. See, I told so. you you're doing better than you think. Okay. This is good. <laughs> I am going to do this audit though, because it is, I realize we've gotten with the busy parenting life that we're in with sports with the kids right now, we're busy with two or three sports a night. So it's the rut of, we do cruciferous vegetables. So it's either a base of cauliflower, broccoli, or Brussels sprouts with two to three vegetables on top. But I get in a rut of 
those three. Uh Yes. And so like three nights in a row, we might be having Brussels sprouts, which my kids do not care for, but (laughs) they're, they're part of our bowls. We make a lot of bowls in our house. Like you have a base, the protein and just stack whatever you want on top of it, grab Uh a little dressing and then be out the door or sauce, whatever they want. Mm -hmm. I like that. I think that's a really cool way to to put things together too. So it's, it prevents us from really overthinking things just like get your base, get your veggie with your protein. That's it. Yes. And that's like, I listen to other moms though, making big meals and I'm like, Oh, that is not me. I have roasted veggies and chicken in the oven. And then you've got your bases and you throw it together and we're out the door. But yeah, the the kids need to learn color in our house instead of rice and chicken. Like to me, you got to have more with that. You're right. Working on it. But we're going to, I think we'll audit everyone's. I think this would be fun for our family. Ooh. Like who can get in 30 different types of plants for the week? We are, like can you tell me like challenges? <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to need, see, you need a PDF for that. And then I was just download it. Okay. We'll see if we can have that done by the time that we put this thing up. I'll do that. Yeah, for sure. It'll be an excellent freebie. Yep. I love it. Okay. One question that we ask all of our people, what is something you are doing, teaching, or learning at this time? So you can choose one of those, or you can tell us all three. Doing, teaching, or learning. Um, Something that's more recent that I'm learning, this is, I guess, still related to women's health, though, is cycle syncing. I've heard of it before, but I haven't like really, really dove into it. So it's me seeing like how I can live my life according to each phase of my menstrual cycle. And I've been doing it for probably a couple of months now. And I notice a difference in how I feel. Um, like I'll do my workouts based on that too. I was in the past, I kind of would try to do it intuitively. Like think, okay, if I have lower energy, I'm not going to push myself to do this like crazy workout. Like maybe I'll take a walk or maybe I'll stretch. But now that I'm like more intentional, like knowing it's happening and intentional about it, it's been really helpful. So like with the workouts, um, I haven't done this yet, but I would like to try doing it, like scheduling meetings and specific events around that. Oh, I know a lot of people do that. You do that? Oh, I oh. will typically, if I'm going to do a podcast or speak for something, or if I'm going to do an online course, I want it to be right after I've had my cycle, like day three, day four, till about day 14, 15 for me is my like most confident, okay. upbeat. You are going to get the best Amanda out there. Anything after that, I am typically more sluggish, exhausted, not as like the Amanda that I like. (laughs) She's a different one. So yeah, I'm all about hormones. It is a real thing for me, but it has taken me... I did not realize this until my mid-30s that, oh, maybe we should have listened to this earlier on. I bet Mm -hmm. that's what our ancestors did way back in the day. And I bet they lived their life that way. And really, I think it allows you... Yeah, to not push over, push your hormones and to listen to yourself and really give your body what you need at that moment. So I would love to hear more on how that's going for you, especially months after this, like when you can start to really piece it together and see how it's really benefiting you in cycles and everything else and be interesting. Yeah. And once I like get into the ins and outs of things, I'll definitely share that with my clients too. So they can also get those same benefits. Mm -hmm. I think it's hard because we're so busy, fast paced, like for people to slow down and really look at their day and what their body's trying to tell them. But when they do that, I just, 
I don't know. I feel like that's what we were meant to do. You know, Mm -hmm. your body's constantly talking to you and we should quiet the time a little bit to see what it needs. Because yeah, one body you get to live in for the rest of your life. We should start paying a little attention to it. That's it. Yeah, totally agree. Well, Alexis, thank you so much for joining us today. I can't wait to give this PDF out. I think we'll, once it's out too, and we drop it with the podcast, this might be our next challenge after we're doing a walking challenge currently on Empower Your Pelvis on Instagram. This might be our next one and we'll have everybody tag you in it because I think it's pretty fascinating. It'll be really interesting to see. So thank you so much. Oh, tell our viewers where they can find you. You can find me at www.connectwithalexis.com and on all social media. So TikTok, Instagram, Facebook. You can find me at Alexis Brooks Nutrition. Hey, Pelvic Posse. I want to thank you so much for joining into this week's episode of the Empower Your Pelvis podcast. Can I ask you a couple of favors, please? Number one, can you like and subscribe to this podcast so that you can continue to empower your pelvis forever so that you will never miss out? Number two, can you leave us a rating and a review telling them how amazing we are and everything that you have learned about your pelvic health? And then number three, if you haven't seen the video version of this podcast, you can go over to youtube.com forward slash C forward slash empower your pelvis for all your visual learners out there. We have all types of great visuals in there for you to not only listen to, but to also watch. Thank you so much again, and make sure to give your pelvis some love until next time. Peace out pelvic posse.